Wow. Wow. Oh my goodness. This episode with Sarah Martin is fab. It is one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. And it covers a broad range of topics, one of which includes a trigger warning for infant loss. So I'm going to let you know up front what we're going to talk about, and then you can decide whether or not you want to listen to this episode. Sarah talks about being married in like this traditional marriage in her young 20s and getting pregnant and like not putting any thought into her power and just going to the hospital through prodromal labor and getting an epidural, doing it again with Claire. So Ellie and Claire too. But in between Ellie and Claire, there was a pregnancy with a baby boy that they named Happy that um, at the 18-week ultrasound found there was no heartbeat and she had to deliver Happy. And she walks us through what that was like. Then she shares how her life changed. She got divorced. She met her twin flame. And she talks about like navigating, like blending families without blending them, like living apart, trying to live together, a soul that just needed a vessel to be into this world and how one person prompted her to research her power and to heal her trauma and to consider an unmedicated birth. Now, I, along with my partner, Colin, had the privilege of being her doulas and walking her through this crazy, amazing birth story with her last Noah. So she birthed in her 20s and her 30s and then 40. I cannot wait for you guys to devour this whole episode. But again, part of this episode includes loss and delivery of a baby at 18 weeks. And so that can be very triggering. Please do not continue listening to this episode if that is something that your heart cannot handle today. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated, unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. 
And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? Wonderful. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm very excited because I love interviewing my own doula clients, which then offends Colin a little bit, you know, because they're her clients also. <laughs> so, so Colin and I were your doulas for yes, you your last birth. And so tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what we're going to dig into today in this episode. Okay, awesome. Well, let's see. I've been in Charlotte now since 04, so like 17 or so years. I'm originally from Florida. I moved here right after college, got started as a teacher, quickly realized that wasn't where I wanted to, what I wanted to do. So I got into real estate. So I've been in real estate now for about 15 years and just love it. Residential real estate, although right now the market is a little cuckoo crazy, but it's fun and exciting and I love helping my clients. And But yeah, if you are in or around the Charlotte area, go check out Sarah. So yes. realtor extraordinaire. Yes, yeah, realtor extraordinaire. I live in Plaza Midwood. So I live in one of the historic in-town neighborhoods of Charlotte. Love, love this neighborhood. My house overlooks the park here. So yes, I've got two older girls, Ellie and Claire. Ellie is 12 and Claire is eight. And, and now of course they have a new little baby brother, Noah, who's uh, almost seven months. And then my partner has two kids that are uh, 12 and seven. So we've just got a full baby Brady brunch crew over here. I was previously married. So the girl's dad, he and I are great friends now, you know, it was kind of a Oh, it was a long road to get there, but we are now friends and wonderful co-parents and, and he lives in Asheville now, but the girls adore him. And I love getting to have the girls here and help them with all their school and their gymnastics and all their playdates. And, and then, yeah, so my partner and I, Jeff, we have Noah together. So it's just a really cool you know, blended family situation and all of the kids are all the four older kids are just obsessed with, with their baby brother. So five kids uh -huh. and you guys have like birthed in all the decades. Exa so yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had, yeah, I had Ellie when I was, I think 27, Claire, when I was 32 or so, and then Noah, right. When I turned 40, it was my right around it was basically my birthday gift to myself. So instead of going to Mexico or Napa for my 40th, I was on the couch breastfeeding a newborn. So I, yes, I've had a, a baby in my twenties, thirties, and forties. And it's, wow, it's such a difference to witness, look back hindsight and see who I was as a mom at, you know, for those three different kids. It's just crazy. So we're going to talk, this is just a second trigger warning. So you guys heard in the intro, the trigger warning, we're going to talk a little bit about Ellie and Claire. We're going to talk about baby happy, which mm -hmm. was a loss at 18 weeks along. Yeah. And then we're going to tell the birth story of Noah, which is 
such a wild and amazing and incredible birth story that we were so blessed to be part of. So, Sarah, let's start like a little bit at the beginning more-ish before the births. I think that your story with you and Jeff is really interesting. So you just said, you know, you're great co-parenting partners with your ex, but like when did Jeff come into your life and what does your living situation look like? Yeah. So Jeff came into my life when the kids, when our oldest kids were, were very little, he and I worked together at our real estate firm and were friends for, for a long time for years. And then, you know, life is crazy and happens. And somewhere along, you know, later along the line, years later, it was like, oh my gosh, I looked at this friend totally differently. And it's like, oh my gosh, I think there's something more here for us. So So you started dating, (laughs) started dating. And it was great because the kids already knew each other. They already had a relationship and a friendship and they were all great. And they were like, oh, cool. We get to see more of each other, you know, and they didn't really put it together right away. So that is, let's see. So that was several years ago. And we lived apart, of course. And then because you each had two children, we each had two kids and we each are co-parenting with different, you know, with, with our exes and all that jazz. Let's see, I guess right before the pandemic, we, we got engaged and that was a beautiful, special time. We got engaged in Brooklyn and it was three in the morning and he had been waiting with the ring in his pocket all, all night long. Well, actually, no, it was up in the hotel room. He made an excuse to go up to the hotel room and then come back down to the river. And I was like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Like, I think we should just be going to bed, but I didn't say this because he seemed really excited about something. So, so we get engaged. We start, we decide to move into my house. We renovate it so that it feels a little bit more like us, not myself and my ex-husband. And so I move out, we renovate it, we move back in, we move the kids in. And that is where a little bit of struggle, I think, you know, a two prong, we, we started having some real intense struggles. I think the pandemic obviously was a huge piece of it. The pandemic started maybe six months later and having all these kids live in my house and the two littlest ones, his, his youngest and my youngest, we had them sharing a room. That was not a great idea to have a, a then let's say six-year-old with a four-year-old sharing a room and they, they love each other to death. They really, really love each other. But when the littlest one was encroaching on Claire's space, that did not feel good to Claire. Like this is my space. And so Long story short, during the pandemic, we broke up and we called off the engagement. Jeff and the kids moved out. He bought a different house and we were not together for, for many, many months. And, and then we reunited. So I can tell you, you tell me how much or little of that story you want to hear. (laughs) Girl, this audience wants to hear all of the story, but the reason I picked you to come on, you know, I had like a hundred clients last year and I very rarely have my own clients come on to this podcast, but I really picked your story because we tell the story too much of like, we met in college, we got married, we had a kid and this is our birth story, right? Mm -hmm. Your story is so unique, but not uncommon, Mm, right? right, It's not uncommon 
to try to blend families and to find tension. It's not uncommon to try to blend families and get remarried and like it's all just like you said the Brady bunch at the beginning you know it's like doesn't it doesn't always happen like that and so I really wanted to highlight your story and elevate it to show like how sometimes things are hard and Mm. and can be dark and can be sad and we can be grieving but like there's always light there's always yes. light ahead. So here you are. We're in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, it's COVID. It sucks. Like the real estate market, like don't even get me started on that. Like I was trying to sell a house. There's no showings, right? Mm-hmm. And you literally do that thing. You get engaged. Mm-hmm. You're in love. You've been in love. You've been yeah. these twin flames in love, ready yep. to start this life. And then the logistics of yes. day-to-day life just shut it down. So you guys totally. actually, you know, it's the, the story we usually hear is like, and then we just kept living together and it sucked, but you guys right. were like, no, let's just separate. Yeah. And, and move into separate places. Yeah. So, so basically it was, you have it all right. And basically what we realized when we were separated at the end of last year, so 2021, we let the day-to-day and the logistics get in the way of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is we love each other. We have so much to learn together. We, we know that we are each other's mirrors. We have grown together as individuals more than we ever have in our life ever. And so if we want to keep growing, if we want to keep evolving and expanding individually, that we have discovered that this relationship is the one that really forces us to do that for better or for worse, meaning it is the highest of the highs and the hardest lows, but the lows we are there because it's stuff that we have to work on within ourselves. So it's like, thank you for showing me where I still have so much pain. Thank you for showing me my wounds. Thank you for showing me this habit that I have that is just, you're not going to tolerate. And so we've got, I've got to look at it or et cetera. Yeah. So the bigger picture is like, do I want to do this life with you? Yes. And it sucks. It it was sucking. (laughs) This is my, (laughs) this is my beautiful language for the podcast. (laughs) It was really, it was really a shame that the love story and the soul story was like not happening because it was really hard to live together or because of the pandemic or because of, you know, kids and the blended family thing. It's just, it's just so hard. And I kept thinking even regular siblings don't get along. Like just, you know, like blood siblings have a hard time getting along. And we're asking these two little ones that are not even blood relatives. And we're mad and confused that they're not getting along. Like what the heck? That seems so normal. Like there's got to be another way here. And so where we are, when we, when we got back together right before Noah was conceived and where we are now still is it works better for us not to live together. And so when we got back together, we said, let's just love each other today. Let's choose every day today. I want to be together and I want to love you. And let's see what, how we feel tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And what that felt like was not like it's constantly on the chopping block. Like, well, I'll just see tomorrow. It wasn't that it was, I have freedom. There is space here. I love you. I love you today. And guess what? I would wake up the next morning going, ah, 
I love you again today. And it was so, it was so spacious and free. And versus um, you didn't take the trash out. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. And like you forgot the water bottle in the backpack. Right. 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 And why were you 15 minutes late? And like, oh my gosh. And, and so, and he was here a lot at my house and he had time, space to go to his house. And I loved it when he left. And it was just, the girls were with their dad in Asheville. He was doing something at his house or with his friends. And I had the house to myself. And I was like, this is glorious. Like, I love this. I'm have hip hop blasting and I'm drinking wine and I'm, and I'm sweeping. And there's nothing better than like cleaning my house to music. I want to listen to and No one's here. Yeah. Not conforming to like these boxes that society and culture have just made up, right? Yes. Like we're like you live in your own house with your own lawnmower, right? And right. like your next door neighbor has their own lawnmower, right? It's just like this. We were meant to be in in like bigger villages and community and not necessarily like all packed into one place. You know, my story, my audience knows my story. My ex lives on the same property as me, but in a different house, Yeah, right? Yeah. And then that's what works. And then I have never shared this story on the podcast, but one of my best friends, Porter, her husband passed away when very quickly when the baby was four months old. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and we were 30-ish years old, 33. And her oldest was like four. So she had like a four and a four month old. And Phil died within six months. Wow. And it was years before she dated again. But now she has a serious boyfriend. And they've been together for several years. And he has his family and his kids. And she has her kids. And, oh, I love that. And they're doing exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love to hear that because I feel you know? like I'm the only one. <laughs> no. And the kids go, they go play together. They swim. They go on vacations together. So that yep. the couple and the kids go on vacation together. You are not the only one. And I really wanted to share the story and, and these fun birth stories too of like what it, what it can be to parent across like in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, what it can be like to parent when we're married, what it can be like to parent when we're good friends and also when we're partners and yeah. sometimes we live together, sometimes we don't. My brother got divorced. <laughs> this is like hilarious. <laughs> My brother got married and then got divorced and then they got back together and realized that they were, they just couldn't live together. Yeah. So then- you know, have, have been continuing to date each other over the many years since they got divorced, they're still together, but technically not married. And it just, their relationship finally worked when they weren't married and they weren't living in the same house. They were able to be in relationship with each other. So. Well, do you know what is crazy is when we got engaged, it like, it shifted something and it was like uh, this Reiki massage guy that I was seeing was almost like Sarah. There's like this collective consciousness of all engaged people and you're falling under the spell of it. And it's kind of going back to what you were saying about like societal, what these boxes that, that society has believes in now over the last 200 or 400 or 800 years, however long it's been this Western society thing, who knows when this all started specifically, but 
he's basically like, it's shifting you guys because you're thinking, oh, we're engaged now. We have to do it this way. It must look this way. It must feel this way. And I was like, but it doesn't feel good anymore. It doesn't feel like what it just felt like, like three months ago before Brooklyn. So yeah, it, it feels really good to break out of that. It's exactly like, sounds like what your brother experienced. Like as soon as you're not married and you do things a little differently, it frees you up almost energetically to just be different, you know? Yeah. And I even thought that after the baby came that I would, like when I was pregnant, I thought, okay, well now we have to move back in together. And we started looking for houses. We started looking for 4,000 square foot houses and thank God. Price <laughs> so all the kids it. could have all their own so rooms. All the kids, exactly. <laughs> that was a must. We had to have five or six bedrooms. Thank God we couldn't find it because like you, we were looking for uh, the, the dream was like a duplex, uh, like you know, on a big piece of property or something, but in the middle of Charlotte, that doesn't exist like on a half acre. So we still didn't move in. And I thought when I was pregnant, we got to move in, we got to move in. So we start looking at houses and we start falling into the trap again. And we didn't find it. And when I was around six months pregnant, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stay in my house. I need to start nesting. I want to start unpacking the crib. I want to start, like, I want to start undoing his clothes. I, I need to get ready. So forget about this other house. We'll just figure it out later. And so I, I chose like, I'm going to stay in my house. You're going to stay in your house. You'll just come over to my house all the freaking time when the baby's here, which he does. And that's what we're going to do. And then I had peace in that. And now, you know, fast forward, it's like, oh my God, this is working out beautifully. So there is hope for all of those that are listening that are in unique circumstances. Now, would you say this pregnancy, this last pregnancy, was it planned? So it's interesting because when we got, it's sort of. So when we were reunited, that's the word we're like, so we like to say reunited versus get back together because we didn't okay. want to go back into what we were. So when yeah. we reunited last, at the end of last year, there was this baby fever going on with us. And we had been together for years and we never really talked about a baby because we had all these kids. We had the four kids and they were still you know, pretty young. And so it was like, if, if either of us thought about it, it was quickly, that thought was rejected because we were like, no way are we going to, we loved our free time. We loved the fact that we had so, we had a, approximately 50% of the time just together, just the two of us, just as lovers and friends. And so to say that we're going to start over and we have 18 more years, we were just like, no. Well, then all of a sudden, when we reunited, there was this crazy baby fever going on with both of us. And we, we couldn't stop thinking about a baby. We couldn't stop feeling it. I felt physically <clears throat> like I have to have a baby. I felt like an addict and I never really felt that before. I absolutely wanted kids and the girls. And we planned that. We said, let's start trying. Let's get pregnant with, with my ex. But I didn't really feel this physical pull. And with Noah, I like, I told him, I was like, Jeff, I don't know. Like, I ha think I have to have a baby or I, I can't, I hope I don't feel like this when I'm in my fifties and sixties. Like this is a kind of a, like this gnawing feeling. And he was sort of feeling it too. Like he was even saying we should have a baby and we would go back and forth. Like who, which day, which week, who's more into it. And we both, we both were really, really wanting it. And we were daydreaming about it, fantasizing about it. And then in January of, 
of la- of last year when he was born, you know, it's confusing all these years, but you know what I mean? Basically yeah. it, like a couple months later, we were like, no, we just shouldn't like, we're being crazy. Let's, let's just stop fantasizing about this. And then like three weeks later I was pregnant so, or we found out I was pregnant. So, so you are already pregnant. I was already pregnant. So we were, we were daydreaming about it all December. He, it turns out he was a December 31st, a new year's Eve baby. Mm-hmm. In January, we said, let's stop being crazy. Let's just focus on what we have. Let's just be grateful for what we have. Let's stop. Let's stop doing this. It's getting a little crazy. And then in February, it's like, oh, oh my God, I already am. And so when I told- Period didn't come. That's how you found out? Like, Well, yes. So so about my period didn't come. Now I stopped taking the pill when we, when we broke up all those several months before that I, I stopped taking the pill because I was like, I don't want to take this thing if we're not together and I'm not active right now. So I'm going to stop taking this. Cool. We reunite. I say, listen, I'm not on the pill anymore. So we've got to be really careful. And we thought that we were, and I have a little app on my phone to track my period, but because it had only been like three, three to four months of tracking and off the pill, it really turns out wasn't that accurate. And so, you were about to be 40, which we start to hyper ovulate and we start to dysregulate too. Like, oh, um, Jesus. you know, oh, so I didn't know that you drop <laughs> eggs. Like, well, now everyone on the podcast does, you know, we start dropping eggs like crazy, which is why there's oh. more multiples and stuff. And when you're, when you're a little bit, well, let's call it what the medical team calls it advanced maternal age. But like, you know, when you 40 and up, like there's a, some risk factors for multiples <laughs> and, and irregular cycles and hyperovulation. Wow, so I did not know that. So I was always perfectly perfect to the day. Like when my, when the app says you're starting tomorrow, I would start tomorrow in the morning. Yeah. So yeah. when it said I have eight more days until I'm fertile, I was thinking we got eight more days and we're in Rosemary beach, Florida for new year's Eve. And we're just having the time of our lives. And it's so, so it it's wasn't goosebumpy is what it is. Yeah. Because if well, you had never moved in together and yes. you had never broken up, you would oh have never come off the pill and Noah's little soul would never be here. Absolutely. And I, we, we talked about that and it was like, we, we, we saw a therapist together for years and I've just taken a break since the baby's been here, but he said, and he worked with us for years and years together and separately. And he said to us, you guys, this baby has been waiting to come in mm-hmm. and he finally saw his chance when you guys broke up and you got off the pill and blah, blah, blah. And he, and so we feel like he drew us back together. This energy of like, I have to be, we have to be back together. We have to work this out. Like I cannot say no to you. Like we, we have to, we have to reunite. And the minute we reunited, this baby energy started and it just felt so true that Noah's soul was like, you guys stop with the nonsense, just get back together and just do this. Like, I really want to come, like, let's just finally be a family. And when I found out that when that morning, that Sunday morning, when I took a test and I took a test because again, the app said I was supposed to start and I was waiting and waiting and waiting and my breasts were tender and I thought, okay, cool. I'm about to start. Well, then they were tender for five or six days. And I was like, wait a second. And it literally just occurred to me in bed on a Sunday morning, he and I were laying in bed and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, they've been tender for five days. What, 
that means something. And so I happened to have a test in my bathroom that I'd had for years, I'm sure. And I took it and it's pregnant. And I came out of the bathroom, like grinning. And I was like, well, remember what we were messing around with that idea. And that morning when we were basically like celebrating and laughing and crying, I had this overwhelming feeling of humility and gratitude. And like, I cannot, I was just crying. Like, I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe you're coming into this world through us. I can't believe I get to be a mom again. Like think all I was saying was thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like I just felt so overwhelmed by like what this meant and who this baby was. And I instantly felt like this peace presence, like this Buddha baby or this, this great uniter, like a, like a harmonizing, like I'm bringing the two sides of you guys together. This is just going to, to bring us together and and be glue and be peace and be harmony. And I was peaceful pretty much through the whole darn pregnancy in a way that I have never been before even with a a lot of challenge in the pregnancy with our relationship. What? I love that word harmonizer, Mm, you know? I mean, gosh, what, like, what a beautiful way to describe it. So I want to dig into these birth stories because Noah's was very different than Ellie and Claire and Happy. And Mm. so I want to give the listeners kind of like a heads up. Noah's birth was completely unmedicated. Yes. Sarah's previous births in her 20s and 30s were medicated. Mm -hmm. And so I also want to talk about the decision to have kind of like done it this like, like we've talked about this like one way in the box, the way society had kind of told you is the way birth goes. And then stepping into your power and planning for this like different type of experience with an unmedicated birth. Mm -hmm. But before we can get there. We have to really understand Ellie and Claire and Happy. So could you just spend a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about how Ellie's birth went in your headspace and then Claire's birth in the headspace? And I know Happy was in between there. And I'm going to ask you some questions about Happy. Yes. Ellie's was my first pregnancy. All went great and well, easy peasy. This was 12 years ago. So this was 20, 2009. She... I was in my late twenties with my first husband and taking myself back there to, okay. So I had prodromal labor for a couple of days and then it got more intense. And so uh, mild contractions started and then it got a little bit more intense on a day where I couldn't stop doing anything. Like this was a day that I went to Target and Bye Bye Baby in the grocery store. And I was like working my butt off until 10 PM. And then I, so it's like, okay, it's coming, you know, like there's something going on that I can't sit down when it got a little bit more intense, but basically her labor lasted outside of that prodromal, the, the real labor started and, and was there for about a day and a half. And I it was so intense and it, because I, I didn't read really any books, I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to think about pushing. I didn't want to think about labor. I just read everything about the beginning of pregnancy and then babies. I skipped right over this third trimester and the pushing and the transition and all of that because I know I knew I'm going to the hospital. I'm having an epidural. If there's medicine available, why the heck wouldn't I use it? I don't even need to think about this. Like I'm just, so I didn't think about it. I didn't look at it. I was too scared. 
And so when this, it, when it got more intense, I got scared and I thought something is wrong. Like this is, this is not right. Like this is so intense that this something is wrong. So I went to the hospital and <clears throat> they hooked me up to the thing and they can see that my, that my contractions are going really, really high, but they weren't doing anything like, like they were blasting up, but over 12 to 20 hours, like it wasn't doing anything. So they had me walking, they sent me home. I was devastated. Your cervix wasn't dilated. My cervix was not dilated. Thank you. Long story short, I, nobody told me that because I'd had a leap procedure in college, that maybe my cervix and you tell me if I have this right, that maybe my cervix was sort of like glued together. Yep. Scar tissue. Scar tissue. Yeah. So your cervix does not regenerate. Okay. Okay. So if we remove part of the cervix, Mm -hmm. right, there is a weakness there or scar tissue there or a a fusing, but it's not like we regenerate. Like if you were to cut off part of your cheek, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like new cheek is going to grow back. Right. Right. So anytime in my intake form, listeners, the first question that we ask is, have we had any cervical procedures, leap, cryotherapy, a previous DNC, a previous DNE, any trauma to the cervix in any kind of way, so that we are aware if there could be a structure or some scar tissue on the cervix. Mm-hmm. And nobody had educated you on that. Oh, God, no, 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 nobody, not, not my OB, not, not anybody at the hospital, like, no. So I'm walking around for another couple of a day and a half in extreme, extreme pain, not knowing how to deal with it. I didn't have a doula. I didn't even honestly, 12 years ago, really know the word doula, the world that I lived in. And I just didn't know what the hell to do. I wasn't prepared. I didn't do Lamaze. I didn't do breathing. And I just thought when this baby comes, I'm just going to go to the hospital and they're going to help me do this. Well, they sent me home. So then I go back home and I'm struggling. And it was, it was just, it was kind of, it was basically hell. And so I, I went back to the hospital, maybe 12 to 15 hours later. And it was like, they thought I was crazy because I was like, I swear to God, these are so intense and they could see it, but they're like, but honey, you're just still a zero. You're just still like not opening. So we're going to send you home again. And I was like, drives me crazy, Sarah. Yeah. Advocacy have to advocate. I lost it. I start bawling. You know, my ex-husband doesn't know what to do. And I, and I looked at that nurse. I said, I cannot go home. You cannot send me home. I said to her, something bad is going to happen because I felt like I cannot do this anymore. Like I, I just want to, I was in fight or flight and not that I was going to hurt myself, but I didn't know how to deal. I, I, I was like, I think I have to die. I I think I have to hurt myself in order to get out of this pain. And that is the definition of your body being in active labor and how cervical dilation and progression has nothing to do with symptoms, right? Like there are other symptoms they could have looked at, like the position of the baby in the pelvis, by looking at your back, by looking at your bottom, by doing belly mapping, that kind of thing. Because if someone would have just gone in there and massaged your cervix and released the scar tissue, you probably would have gone straight to five or six centimeters dilated. Yeah. Well, this is, a. I mean, Heinz, like this is making me mad right now because I've never really 
talked about this or understood it. I just thought this was Ellie. This was who, this was me. This was, this was just how that labor was. And it's just, it's such a BS thing that like this had to happen for both of us. Because every 18 year old needs to be warned prior to elite procedure, the impact that that may have if they choose a pregnancy later on in their life. Yeah. You know, or if you had a pregnancy and then you had a leap procedure, anytime someone manipulates your cervix, we need to be made aware of the risks Mm -hmm. that, that long-term risks that that can cause Mm -hmm. on, absolutely. you know, future pregnancies. So I get angry with you too. I'm sorry. So, so yeah, so I finally, I felt like they let me stay almost like with a roll of the eyes. You know what I mean? Like, okay, fine. You can stay, I guess. And I felt like a fraud, like, okay, thanks. I mean, thanks for freaking taking. And I felt weak. I felt like I, I felt like I can't do this. And thanks for letting me stay like little old me. Like, I'm sorry that I'm such a burden because I'm not progressing. And they didn't help me progress. They just were like, stay, just sit here then. So we just sat in a room and just waited. And and then, so anyway, let's, let's say 12 hours later, I was able to start it was finally time to start pushing. They did have to manipulate some things. They did like sweep my membranes. They did give me Pitocin. We started doing all these things. They did give you the epidural to take you out. And then they did give, thank you. And they did give me the epidural. So then I was at peace and then I was sleeping and then, uh, and then it finally started. She, I think I pushed, I don't remember for how long, like 45 to an hour or something like that. It turns out she was face up. So I, I always say sunny side up, but I don't know what the right it's called OP occiput posterior. And we usually see an OP presentation, just a couple of reasons, but one, it could be like the shape of your pelvis, right? Mm-hmm. Another is if there's a, a flexed position with the uterus where the baby is on the hanging out on the right side. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can like go back in your brain 12 years to remember like where Ellie was hanging out, but, but this is where you guys, for all of you listening to Sarah's story, right? And hopefully if you have a leap procedure, you know, to ask some questions, but spinningbabies.com. There are, are the per- parents daily essentials. So things that you can do every day for like stretching and moving your body and a trained doula or a trained labor and delivery nurse or a trained midwife or a trained OB can help spin your baby around by just different labor positions based on if the station of the baby where the head is at is in the inlet high up negative two, negative three, negative four mid pelvis which is negative one, zero, plus one, or the outlet kind of coming out and pushing plus two, plus three, plus four. Those are all different positions that help the head to rotate. So this is so normal, Sarah, though. Like, don't hold don't hold any tension on that, right? This is society. This is culture. This is our medical system. This is people not knowing what a doula is and not knowing what spinning babies is and not knowing what lead procedures are. And, like, and, and the constant messages that we get that say, you're a woman. And so like, you can't take pain. You can't do this. Like we have this thing called an epidural. We can just give you all the pain medication rather than hearing you are strong. You are capable. You know, you can absolutely do this. Everything that's happening in your body right now is normal and safe. And a freaking little cervical massage, a little membrane sweep with a little massage and stimulation 30 hours earlier, you know, would have probably helped that scar tissue release, 
you know? And so the medical system failed you. It had nothing to do with you or Ellie or anything like that. But the reason you're telling your story, Sarah, today on Mm -hmm. this podcast is so that this doesn't happen to another person the first time she's going to give birth. Right. Exactly. And, and I, I've done it both ways. And, And with Ellie and Claire, I just said, I knocked, as soon as labor started, I knocked on the hospital door and said, here I am. Hi, big hospital. I'm in labor. Take me and do what you will to get this baby out. I didn't ask questions. I didn't care. I didn't know to care. I didn't know. They didn't ask me, do you want Pitocin? They didn't ask me, do you want this? They didn't ask. They didn't tell me anything. I basically was like a blind mute being and they, I just, and I, and I accepted it. I I said, just take me here. I am. And just do what you will to get this baby out. And that was not, um, I was not my own advocate. I didn't know. I, I just thought that's just what you do. You just go to the hospital and they help you get there. I mean, literally with Ellie and Claire, I said, okay, are you guys going to tell me what to do when it's time to push? And they said, yes, we will tell you what to do when it's time to push time to push. And I said, okay, great. Cause I don't know. Then with my, with them, with Noah, I was just honestly from a little pushing from no pun intended, but with a little encouragement from my cousin, she said, I want you to read a couple books and I know you've had your two girls, but I just, would you be willing to read a couple of things to, and I said, sure. When I started reading a couple things, I realized there was a different way. And I was like, what? I had no idea there was another way. I had no idea. I learned so many things. I became so passionate about it. So for my whole pregnancy with Noah, I was obsessed with with birth, with pregnancy, with the baby, with the trauma, with the with 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 the moments after birth. I everything became important to me. Every decision. And it was the opposite of how it was in with my first two. And it, and I, and I really can just attribute most of that to experience and age. And yeah, I don't blame the 27 and 32 year old self of mine. I just, I didn't, it's almost, it's that thing of, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And then when, and then when I did know there was no look, there was no turning away from that knowledge. Yep. I will never, ever, ever forget this, like very influential, like church service that I went to. And I go to this like very hippie non-denominational church. And they said, they put this slide up and they said, the number one reason that people don't give or volunteer time or donate, the number one reason cited is because nobody asked them to, Mm. right? And it it like as a doula sitting in the service, like I was like, okay, this for me, it wasn't about like, you know, volunteering to go fix a toilet at an 80 year old's house. It was like, huh, it was like, we spend so much time disempowering women that are pregnant. But like you said, you, just one person encouraged you. That's all it takes. One person to say, did you know that you are powerful and that you are wildly capable of giving birth with no one's help at all, mm-hmm. with no medicine at all, if that's what you want for your body. Did you know that that's a choice? It just takes one person. So if you're really? listening to this podcast because you love birth story podcasts, but you're not pregnant, 
find that one person who is pregnant and make sure they at least know about their choices and their prompting. So I want you to tell Noah's birth story, but we cannot tell Noah's birth story without understanding the narrative of Ellie and Claire and Happy because that shapes the way we have sex. It shapes the way that we that we show up as a parent. It shapes the way that we show up as a a wife, a coworker, when things are done to our body kind of without our permission and without us being in, in our own power. And so I know with Ellie and Claire, you kind of said, you know, you showed up at the hospital, do these things, give me the epidural, tell you tell me what to do with my body. Yep. But there was a birth in between. Yeah. So can you just share a little bit about happy Mm -hmm. and, you know, what it's like to try to to recover from a a late loss? So happy was 18 weeks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes. So, so in between the girls, when Ellie was about two and a half, I, we got pregnant with our second, my ex and I, and I had, Ellie was my first pregnancy, first child. This was my second pregnancy. So wasn't really expecting, thinking of of that, about anything, any issues. When we went in for the 18 week appointment to find out the sex, we actually had, I actually had my mother-in-law, his mother with us. We were super excited. We were going for the ultrasound to find out if it's a boy or a girl. She's in the room with us. The ultrasound tech is doing the ultrasound, like boy or girl, boy or girl. And it's going on for a long time and it's silent. And we just, she just keeps looking and she just keeps looking and I said to her after, I don't know, 30 seconds, which felt like 10 minutes, I said, where, where's the heartbeat? Because I'd had ultrasounds before with obviously with Ellie, but also with this baby. And I was like, there's normally a sound. There's normally like the, and it was just silent. And so I said to her, I thought it was on mute. I said, where's the heartbeat? Where's that? You know? And she said, that's what I'm looking for. And she said, it really solemnly. And I, and then that the, all the energy just drained out of my body. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're looking for the heartbeat. And it's been 30 seconds. And I just knew, and I just said, okay. And just all the air sucked out of the room. And she just kept looking and looking and looking. And I basically, I think I even told her, I was like, it's okay. I just instantly went into like, shut down strong, concrete mode. And she said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go get the doctor. And I was like, mother effer, you know? And I was like, okay. And I just, I don't even remember if I started crying or not. And then his mom left the room. I think, I think she said, I'm going to give you guys some space. The tech comes back. She says, can you, can you get dressed and come with me to the doctor's office? I was like, sure. I mean, I am just like pissed. My initial reaction now is just like pissed concrete wall, you know, fine. I'll put on my freaking pants. Sure. Sure. So we go and we sit down in the office and she's like, I'm so sorry. And, and I just, I think I cried a little bit, but I was more so just like, okay, okay. So what do we do? So what do we do? And, and she said, 
and I said, do we need to do something right now? Like, how do we do this? How do we, what, what happens at 18 weeks? I don't even understand. And she, she was like my OB who I love. And she was my OB for, for Claire. And then she was my OB for Noah. This was my first experience with her because I switched practices. She said, Sarah, I'm going to have to admit you. And I was like, what? Like, so she said, will you go home and get some clothes and go home and can somebody watch Ellie because you're going to have to come back to the hospital. And I was like, oh my God, I thought they could just like do something at the office real quick, you know? So we go home, I pack a bag, my parents start driving up from Florida to watch Ellie. We go to Target to get magazines to get candy, to, I don't even know what else we had to get. Maybe we had to get something else. And so I'm walking through Target like a zombie and just getting stuff for this one to two day event in the hospital that I'm going to be admitted for. And we go, they give me the medicine to start the labor. He comes out. It was. Did they sorry. give you a choice, Sarah, to be put to sleep? And have a DNC or a DNE, or did they tell you that they would need to induce the labor and you would need to deliver your baby? Was that a choice? No. Okay. No. I am asking you that question, which I know the answer to, because each state has different laws. Hmm. Okay. And I still am unclear. So I'm not going to come on this podcast and pretend to be the expert. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. It is something that every person who's pregnant should know the laws of their state. Mm. If I find out that my child isn't going to serve at the 18 week ultrasound, I find out there's a heartbeat, but my child's not going to survive for X, Y, Z reasons. Can you still terminate that pregnancy in your state or do you have to rate? Cause don't mm. get an ultrasound at 20 weeks. If the cutoff like North Carolina, you cannot terminate at after 20 weeks. So you better have an 18 week ultrasound if that's an wow. option, wow. if that's an option for you. But I also know yeah. that in many states, they make you deliver your child if they are past 16 weeks. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. And they didn't tell me. And again, I didn't ask. And I was just told you need to come back and we're going to deliver. Okay. So I, I did, and we didn't know the sex because obviously we didn't talk about it in the ultrasound. And when he, when, when he came out or I, I, when I pushed him out and she got him, she took him over, you know, to, she took him away just a couple feet away to whatever, clean him up a little bit, I suppose. And she said, would you like to know the sex? And I said, sure. And so she told us, and she said, it was, it's a, it was a boy. And my ex-husband just started bawling. And I, again, was pretty stoic. And I think I went into shock. And I actually, during that late, after that late, I can't remember either during or after I was shaking so much that the nurse couldn't take my blood pressure. And she had to get like really firm and serious with me. And she like got in my face, like in a, in a loving, like in a firm, but loving way. Like, I think she was scared. I just would not stop shaking and she couldn't even take my blood pressure. And I realized looking back that my body was just in shock and I wasn't processing it mentally or emotionally. And my ex was crying 
about the loss of this baby, about the loss of a, bo- a boy, a potential son. And then he watched me and got scared. Like the nurse was getting scared too. And, and he thought I was going to lose them both. He thought like, Sarah's going to die. Like she cannot stop shaking. And she's like almost non-responsive. So that was super traumatic. And I thank God the OB my OBGYN did encourage me to hold the baby. She said, do you want to hold him? And I said, no. And she said, I'm going to leave him here and I'm going to give you some minutes. And I really want you to think about this. And I would really love for you to think about holding him. And so eventually I did. And it was, it was good. And it felt, it felt good. And I could cry and I held him and he was so tiny. I mean, probably the size of my hand and I saw little tiny features and I just, it was, it was lovely to hold him. And then did it help you stop shaking when you were holding him? Oh, probably, probably. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember shaking then. I remember just holding, focusing on him and just trying to like absorb, like just trying to, yeah, just sending so much love to him, you know? And when we left the hospital, maybe the next day, I don't, I, I don't even remember. It's all sort of a blur now, but we didn't really talk about it. We didn't deal with it. We didn't. I didn't talk to, I had not, I was not seeing a therapist at that time. We didn't talk about it together. I just pushed it under the rug. And my ex who is so sweet and a peacekeeper and so whatever I want. And like, just, you know, really, you know, was really so sweet. He was like, okay, I guess we're not talking about this hindsight, this was a huge, huge thing that we needed to deal with together and that I needed to deal with alone individually. And I just, I just, again, wanted to turn a blind eye to it. I do have the baby's ashes. Ellie, the two year old who was two at the time named him happy, like in my belly. She was like, it's happy. The baby is happy. Let's call him happy. So that's what we sort of named him. My dad picked up the ashes from, from a funeral home and I carried them with me. Well, I let, I I had them at home, but if we would go on a trip, I would bring the ashes with me. Like it didn't feel right to like go to the beach without him or go to the mountains without him. Like I felt like I was abandoning him. And so I, I know that like the work because that I have to do around that was a, that I felt like I abandoned him and it, somehow this was my fault a little bit. And, and even when I got home from the hospital, I called up to the hospital at 11 o'clock at night and I was having a little bit of a panic attack. And I said, where is my baby? I just left. I just had a baby. Can you find him? Where is he? And I felt like, I can't believe this baby is like on some floor of a concrete building without me. And the nurse was so sweet. And she went and literally found him. And she said, he's in pathology. And as soon as they open in the morning, I'm going to go get him. And I'm going to bring him to labor and delivery until the funeral home gets here. And I said, thank you. And I felt like this was a, like a baby that needed to be taken care of. And then, so then that's sort of how I treated it for a little bit afterward. Like when, like I said, when we went out of town, he couldn't just stay at my house, like in my drawer by himself, I had to bring him with me. And so I did that for years until I don't know when. Until you went to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And processed. This is totally off topic, but do you know if Jeff and his before meeting you, did he have any losses with any women? Yes. Yes. Okay. This is where I'm going to say something out loud that like half my audience is going to be like, what is she saying? My mom had two abortions 
and six miscarriages. Mm. Oh, wow. And my mom will tell you, like, I'm this fierce fighter and I'm an advocate and I'm just like, you know, my personality is just like, you know, like, grah out of the whole world, you know. And I also have a lot of hypochondria, like fear around death and dying and things like that. And my mom will tell you, there was six bodies and only one baby, like one soul. It was you the whole time, she'll tell me. And you were fighting and fighting and fighting to get here. And so that's why I asked that question about Jeff, because I wonder if you know, potentially that little soul was Noah, but it just wasn't the right time in Jeff's relationship here and in your relationship here. And, you know, if that, that soul, Noah just wasn't going to be here in those relationships. Right. You know, this is where I get a little like a I'm like, okay, so everybody I, lots, I know. But. I have lots of about the, all that. So I'm totally, I totally resonate with that. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, you, you don't deal with your feelings. You have Claire in the same yeah. manner as Ellie, like very medicalized epidural, all that thing. And then we talked about your whole life changes, Sarah, you, yeah. you get divorced you stay yep. friends and co-parent, you expand, mm-hmm. you grow, you go to therapy, you fall in love with your twin flame and everything changes for you and you grow into your power because it was taken yes. away from you. It was never given to you, first of all. And then it was taken away from you with Ellie's birth. Then it was taken away from you again with Happy. It was taken away from you again with Claire. And then one day, one day, somebody says to you, there's another way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's yeah. go down that path. Yeah. So, yeah. So would you like to just, yeah, where do you want me? I want you, you want to, to start with your preparation. Like, cause we've already established you are in a good place, right? You've done the therapy. You're so, this baby, you are so excited for, like, you guys are like laying in bed and just laughing and giggling and cheering and, you know, and, and you're older and you're educated and you're in your power and you're a great mom, right? Mm-hmm. And Jeff's a great dad. And mm-hmm. so like. Now take me on that journey of just preparing. Like you called me and was like, I'm going to have an unmedicated birth. I'm going to need a doula. Yep. How'd you get there? So I had a massage years and years and years ago, even when I maybe just had Ellie and a, some, this massage therapist said something to me about orgasms helping during birth. And I was like, this was back before all my life. This was before, this was the, the version two, 1.0 of Sarah. And I thought orgasms to help during birth for pain. Whoa, this lady is wacky, but I love her massages. So I'm just going to listen and okay. Well, I just shoved that thought away for 12 years. When my cousin said to me who my cousin had 
at that time, one unmedicated birth and was pregnant and getting ready to have a second unmedicated birth. And she said, would you, would you be willing to just read a couple of books? I read a couple of books. Birthing from within was one of them. The Ida May. Yep. Ida May Gaskin. Yes. Thank you. The, the, her child, her, her, the midwife, her, her, her book. Then I kept thinking about this orgasmic birthing thing that this one, that this massage therapist told me about like 12 years ago, at least. And I Googled like, this is how naive I was, how sweet and naive I was. I Googled like orgasm for birth. And of course there's like this whole movement, this whole book, this whole movie, but I'm thinking like, is there something to this? Like, like, like this massage therapist and I just had a, our own conversation. So I Google it and it's like, oh my God, there's a book called orgasmic birthing. So I order it instantly. It comes the next day. I start reading it and I cannot believe that women are finding pleasure and power from birth. And I'm just like, what are you freaking kidding me? And my mind is just blown. And from there, I want to read this other book. I want to talk about this with Jeff. I want to talk about it with my girlfriends. I want to talk about it with my, with all the people. And I, and I, that book leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And I went down this whole rabbit hole of all of these gorgeous books that were like, why do we birth on our backs? Why did you know that getting this drug leads to way more C-sections. Did you know that when the baby isn't on your chest, that this happens? Did you know? And I was just like, no, I had no idea. And I was pissed off and excited and hopeful and passionate. And I just decided I'm going to do this freak. It was like, I was like, I was used to challenge. Now I was used to growth. I was used to climbing a mountain and getting to the summit and celebrating. I had done that a hundred million times in my relationship with Jeff. So I was going to do it again. And I'm like, I'll be damned. I'm doing it. I'm going to try this unmedicated thing. I'm going to do this differently. I'm doing everything differently in my life. I'm going to try it. And so I was determined and, and I started preparing for it. Like I didn't with the girls, right? Like the girls, I was not going to look at it. And this time around, I was looking at it. And I will never forget my chiropractor, Lauren was like, I've got a girl for you. She's going to call you. And I was like, okay. She's like, you're going to love her. You have to be your doula. She has to have an unmedicated birth. Like I'm sending her to you. I trust you. And I was like, okay. So Lauren was the second person. So my cousin was the first person to put a burden or was the little sound in my ear. Lauren was the second one. And she gently said, would you be willing to think about an unmedicated birth? Would you be willing to think about a home birth? Would you be willing to think about a doula? And she gently encouraged me just to think about these things and be and so then I did, I started researching them and then, and I did even think about a home birth for a minute and you and I had that conversation. So, so yeah, so I knew that I needed, if I wanted to do it unmedicated, I remembered what it was like to be at my house by myself with Ellie, uh, with just me and my partner and it was how hard it was. And I was like, if I'm going to do it unmedicated, I'm going to need help. I'm going to need a, a doula a support because I, I, I couldn't do that Ellie thing again. And so that's when I called you and I just said, I really want to try this. And I know I'm going to need to lean on you. And what's 
still unfortunate of even th that I, the box, the societal norms, I still thought that me needing you was like a weakness of some sort. And it's just such a shame. And I just continue to remind myself it's, you are the village, you know, you and Colin and Lauren and a, and a midwife and an OB and, and my partner and my best friend. And you, you're all a part of the village, all, all a part of the tribe, all a part of the community. And yes, I can do it alone. And yes, it's okay to have you literally holding my hand or me leaning on you, or you massaging my back. And it's not a weakness. It's just it's just, if we think back a thousand years ago, there was a, a, a little surrounding of women helping women and it's, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. And so anyway, it was a lot for me to process internally too, of like, do I need help? And will I accept help? Will I receive it? Will I ask for it? Will I feel strength in my, in my asking? And, and that's what I learned and said yes to. And it was so beautiful. And another word for help, I would mm. say, is just support, yeah. right? At the yeah. end of every single birth, and I know you said it too to us, the, the birthing person leans in, and I remember this moment with you where you said, I couldn't have done this without you. Mm -hmm. And we said to you, and the same thing we say to every single birthing person is, yes, you could have done this without us. We're just here to be witness. We're just here to support. But yeah, you didn't need us. No, no, you you're know? right. And you know why that's true? Because I didn't even have it. My body did it. I, when you guys said it's about time to start pushing, I thought, well, first of all, we know that he started coming out without me pushing, right? It right. just was happening. <laughs> but when you were, when you guys were like, it's, it's happening now, we're, we're about to start pushing. My body started pushing him without my, it just, it starts started happening. So I didn't need you. I didn't even really need my consent. I wasn't like, okay, I'm ready. One, two, three push. It just the, the, the force of the universe just started pushing him out. So I know that that's true. And I feel like I was a little more sane with you there. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we have a couple minutes left. So let's just back up Noah's birth story. Because you were in trouble, girlfriend. Sarah yeah. snuck out of town. Jeff snuck out of town. At how many weeks gestation? 38. 38 weeks. <laughs> My sweet little doula client, pregnant with her third, sneaks out of town. Jeff sneaks out of town. They don't tell their doulas they're going out of town because they know that we would have been like, oh, hell no. You're not going anywhere. So yeah. how did you know? So you're out of town. And you're not with Jeff. Jeff is in a different location. You're at a oh retreat. God, He's camping. Yeah. But tell the audience, how did you know I'm in labor? I'm in my birthing uh, time. So it was three in the morning and I had my own little room. I was on a girl's weekend in the mountains. I was alone in the room. I wake up to go to the bathroom at 3 a.m., which is totally normal. I'd been doing that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was having like... I guess we could say Braxton Hicks contractions, or I was just having like period cramps, which again was very normal. I'd been having those for weeks in the middle of the night, no big deal, very mild. So I go to the bathroom and 
the period cramps are lasting for like 45 minutes. Normally I can go back to sleep in five minutes, 45 minutes later, I'm still having these period cramps. And then they get a little more intense and a little more uncomfortable, like to where maybe, you know, in, in a normal, like when you're not pregnant, you're going to go ahead and take a Tylenol because the period cramps are getting a little ouchy now. And then it like occurs to me after an hour, I started to get annoyed. I was like, Oh, just stop. Like, I wish these period cramps would just like stop. And then it occurs to me after like an hour, I was like, wait, maybe this is happening. Maybe these are not just random contract, like practice contractions. So then it occurs to me at like 4.15 to download an app to start tracking. Like, so they start getting more intense. They start being like five to six minutes apart. Now they're getting a little bit more annoying. And I decide at like 5.45 to go ahead and get up and take a shower because I can't sleep anyway. So let me just start to shower and pack up. It's Sunday morning. We weren't supposed to leave till Sunday afternoon, but yeah. So that's how I knew was basically this, these cramps that were getting more annoying. That's, they were still just annoying, but they weren't going away. Okay. So then I get this phone call. That's like, Hey, Heidi, I have something to tell you. I feel like I'm, I might be in labor because there's just still like a ton of denial going on. Yeah. And, and I'm not in town and also Jeff's not in town and I can't get a hold of him. And I'm like, great. Okay. And you said, what do I do? And I'm like, you get in the car and you start driving to Charlotte right now. I think we did a check-in. Like, how far apart are they? I wanted to make sure you weren't feeling pressure in your butt. We had a detour of Mission Hospital in Asheville. We had a detour of Gaston Memorial in Gastonia. Like, I was like, okay, here's all the places you could pull over to have a baby. Like, if it happens on your drive home. But I was like, you need to drive home right now. It's two hours and I will meet you at your house. Yeah. When you said to me, drive home this specific way so that I could pass two hospitals, I was like, what? Like I was in big denial. So we're <laughs> driving. My friend, Erin gets in the car. She drives me. I leave my car in the mountains. Our, our other friend, Bobby is following behind us. And we're us two cars are driving down the mountain. We leave everybody. We text and we're like, it's like 6 a.m. And we're like, I'm leaving because I might be having a baby. Like, we'll call you guys later. The, 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 the cramps get worse. Let's just call them now where I'm having contractions. I cannot no longer sit in the front seat. I have Aaron pull over on the windy stinking mountain road. I have to get in the back seat so that I can like stretch out and move and move around. And they are getting more intense. First, we were talking and talking and chatting. Now I, I can't talk anymore. So even when we're still in the mountain windy roads, it's, it has already intensified. And I keep calling Jeff and it keeps going straight to voicemail. And I'm so confused and I'm, I'm kind of annoyed because we, I, he hasn't been turning his phone off at night for weeks because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the 38 weeks. And so I'm, I'm in the back of my mind, it honestly was a distraction thinking, where is he and what's going on while I'm driving down the road, we pull over in Gastonia so we, we make it a good way. We make it at least a, an hour back. We pull over in Gastonia because I have to pee. I lose my mucus plug in a parking lot in Gastonia. <laughs> and I felt not very classy. I will say that, but that's okay. Gastonia I, is not a classy place, so it's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> and I remember sending you a text. You, we, we had been, you and I were texting and we were checking in. And I said, I think I just lost my mucus plug. And you said, FaceTime me. 
because you wanted to see my face. And so I FaceTime you and I'm having a contraction where I can't even really talk through it. And again, in my mind, I think these are just getting more intense, but maybe this will be later today. Maybe this will be tomorrow. Or I, I even thought maybe this is going to go away. Like it might, these might, this might stop altogether and it might be next week. Cause I was still two weeks away from my due date. So I was thinking this might all stop. And I didn't. So, so yeah. So, so mucus plug in Gastonia, Jeff finally calls. I'm like, I just start crying the instant. I finally, I'm so relieved to see his name calling me and I, and he's gotten all these texts from you and me and Colin. And he's seen as soon as his phone turns on, he sees all <laughs> like the doulas are like, where the fuck are you? <laughs> like, yeah. Please and I call. love that his, I, I, I love that his last text from you was he said hey I'm just seeing all of this where should I go her house or the hospital and his last text was hospital (laughs) (laughs) so Jeff to go is camping he's by himself because I went on a girls weekend I'm camp I'm like in the mountains he's like well I'll go camping too why not he's by himself. He takes, we have a sprinter van. That's like a converted sprinter. That's like a camper. So he takes the van to go camping at green river preserve. He tur- he walks to service in the morning to check his phone. He sees all the texts, all the missed calls. He's freaking out. He, he, he runs to the van to turn it on. The van will not start. Stop he, it now. <laughs> yes. The van will not start. He runs to like some area where there's more people, not so secluded, like at his campsite. He finds a mountain biker that's just pulling into the parking lot to go my, a mountain biking on Sunday morning. He tells the guy, this is what's going on. My partner's in labor. Oh my God, my van won't start. The guy drives Jeff down the mountain to a car shop. They buy a new battery he drives him back to the, to the van. They put the battery in. It doesn't work. It still does not turn the van on. Jeff is so frustrated and scared and pissed that he throws his phone out of frustration (laughs) because by this point, it's been like over an hour and a half since, oh God, no, it was probably, it was two hours since, since I said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving my mountain house thing. And, and we're, we're driving back. It's been over two hours. So he's freaking out. He throws his phone, the phone shatters. Now he doesn't have a freaking phone, no phone and no working car. So the last, so, so they finally get the battery to work somehow they had to mess around with some wires. We, we find out later that there was an electrical issue going on. He starts driving down the road. It was, it was a freaking mess. It was crazy. So he's, so the whole way home, this is going on while I'm not knowing where the heck he is and you're not knowing where the heck he is. And I, in the meantime, make it home to Plaza Midwood. You show up at my house four minutes later, my water just burst in my bathroom. I'm I'm leaning over my bed. You instantly come in. You don't even say hello. You just start pushing on my back. And I'm saying, Heidi, Heidi, Heidi. And you're like, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. The labor progressed so quickly and so methodically. It was like one step into the next, no pause, no slowness, no time. Yeah. But we're missing a step. When your water broke, we saw very light meconium. Yeah. Very light, which is a baby's first bowel movement. And that's pretty normal post-date, but it's not the most normal thing that we see all the time at 38 weeks. Mm -hmm. So I texted the midwife in your group 
and was like, hey, we're at home in Plaza Midwood. It's third baby. There's late meconium. Like, are you comfortable with us staying at home for a little bit longer? And she was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Come in. And yeah. I was like, okay, done. So I was like, yeah. Sarah, I know you wanted to labor at home and get in this birth tub that you bought because Jeff had bought this like big birth tub and stuff. And I'm like, we just need to go to the hospital right now. Like you are very far along in your labor. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was primal. I was making primal sounds. Yeah. I was, I couldn't talk. I couldn't really walk. And, and I, and I told you he's not making it. So you just have to stop no. thinking about that. And like, you know what, it's, when he did call me on the road and I was dry, Aaron was driving and I was in the back seat, and I, he did finally call me and he said, I'm at green river preserve. And I was already past Gastonia. I, I knew he's not making it. And I just put him out of my mind and I wasn't upset. I wasn't mad. I was okay. I was just like, it is what it is. It yeah. is fine. It is. And, and I've got Aaron, I've got Bobby. Heidi is on her way. Colin, I know is a phone call. Like I'm fine. And I just accepted it basically. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I kind of knew he wasn't going to make it. And so in the bathroom, when, when the midwife said, I would like you to go get checked to make sure the baby's not in distress. I said, absolutely. Let's get there right now. And you said so calmly and sweetly, who would you like? Jeff's not going to make it. I said, I know who would you like to be there in his place? You get a person like I'll be your doula and you, you get a, another person. Do you want it to be your sister? Do you want it to be, you know, your friend, Aaron? And I, and I just kind of sat there like, I don't know. I don't know. And you said, what about Colin? And I was like, oh, yes, Colin. And I felt like I get to have both of the doulas. I felt so honored. <laughs> and so you called Colin and you were like, Colin, I'm with Sarah Martin. Jeff's not going to make it. And you went, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And I knew there was like <laughs> words being exchanged that you couldn't say to me. And I'm in my mind like, I know this is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> and so you're like, Colin will meet us there in 10 minutes. And so we're, we're walking to the car and I have two contractions walking to the car in my room. When you were pressing on my back, it felt really good in the driveway. When you're pushing on my back, and I'm holding onto my rubber tire of my car. It feels like hell. And I say, no, 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 don't touch me. Don't touch me. And you grabbed my arm and you were like, Sarah, get in the car. The fact that this hurts now means he's moving down, get up, get in the car. And I was like, uh, uh, I can't, I can't. And you were like, get up. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, we are not about to have a baby in the car. Like <laughs> double hip squeezes feel good until the baby is in the outlet of the pelvis, yeah. like plus, plus one, plus two. So I'm I like, Oh God, believe how freaking fast this was happening. I mean, I mean, we started driving at 6 a.m. It is now 9 a.m. It was literally like 9.05. And I cannot believe this is already happening. And so we're driving to the hospital. All I remember you saying to me was, loosen your face, lower your shoulders, breathe and breathe out, loosen your jaw, loosen your Sarah, you're tight, Sarah, you're tight. And even though I didn't believe it, I just kept saying, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, relax, relax, relax. And I didn't believe it. I didn't feel it. I felt tight. I felt tense, but I just kept saying it almost like a mantra. Just, I'm sure I was more relaxed saying it than not saying it, but it was like, I just had, I, do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. had to say it, but I don't know if I really believed it, but I, 
It was intense. You were doing great, but I remember being like, okay, like there is no vibrator. There's no orgasm. Like we're not having time for like this orgasmic birth. You would, you had prepared. Oh. This is the joke of birth, right? Like you pre prepared, you planned. We have a birth tub. We have like all the vibrators. We've got orgasmic birth going on. And then it's just like, you know what? We're yeah. in control of nothing. We surrender to the universe and our body. And, yeah. but what you were still in was in your power that you could do it. And we get to the hospital. We go to triage, which I'm like rolling my eyes. Like, come on, hospital, get your stuff together. It's a third time mom. And she's like, why are we going to triage? You yeah, know? I was yelling. I was, I was, I was, or not yelling, but I was like, Ugh! right. Like, this baby is coming. And this is very important audience Sarah consented to a vaginal exam and she was like six centimeters dilated and I was like fucking ignore it like you the in one contraction you're going to be 10 I was like you are in transition because at this point Sarah hears six and she's like give me an epidural yeah I'm done I I heard six and I wanted to die because I thought I was dying. <laughs> I felt much more in my power than, than with Ellie, but I, but I felt like I can't, I can't do that. What if this is five hours? What if this is five more hours of this? I cannot, I can't. And of course I could have, of course I could have, but I, that's what I thought in the moment. I start throwing up. I threw up like three times into a little, I filled up a whole cup. Mm -hmm. That's obvious transition, but I didn't care. I was like, I kept saying to you, I want an epidural. I want an epidural. And you were like, Sarah, there's not going to be time for one. I said, I don't care. I want you to still call. <laughs> and then I kept asking the nurse, did you guys call? Did you guys call? I want it. I want it. And you were literally, so to your point, when she checked me and I was a six, maybe 10 minutes later, we start walking to the room. I finally make it out of triage. I pass my stinking COVID exam. I'm done throwing up. I have changed. We start walking to the room. I start pushing in the hallway. Oh. I squat down. Well, to, backing up just a tiny bit when I kept squatting, the baby's heart rate was going down. And so Heidi, or I'm sorry, Colin, I I'm leaning on you. Like we're slow dancing. Colin is holding my hand. Colin says, Sarah, the baby doesn't like it when you squat, please don't squat anymore. I'm thinking, okay, okay. And so whenever I didn't, whenever I stood up straight, the baby's heart rate was fine. So it was like, oh, back in the day with Ellie, when her heart rate was going down, do you know what they said to me? We're getting ready for a C-section. Not we should move positions, but the doctor said you are one push away from a C-section because of the baby's heart rate with Colin and you, when I was squatting, it was like, oh, that's, there's some pressure on the baby. So stand up. As soon as I stood up, everything was fine. So also in triage, before I started walking to the room, you get on, you get a call from someone and I'm so out of it and delirious. I don't know who you're talking to, but I hear you say battery and I hear that Jeff is still far away. I hear that he's still hours away and I hear the word battery. And then I'm like, what? And then, then I said, it's something about his car won't start. And I said, and I remember saying, Uber, 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 <laughs> just Uber here. What the hell is going on? And so anyway, yeah. as, we're, as we're walking in the hallway, I squat down again. And I start, and I didn't even know I was pushing, but I guess I started going, uh, 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 
and you were the one holding my hand, yelled out to the nurse and said, she's pushing, she's pushing. And, the, and Colin said, stand up, Sarah, stand up. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so then the nurse calls out delivery and roommate. We need delivery set up right now. All these people start running. I walk into room eight. We're like 10 steps away. I walk into room eight. Heidi says, pull up your dress, pull down your underwear, pull up your dress, get on the bed, lean over the bed. I mean, we are pushing. I was in the room for six seconds before I started pushing. Yeah. So (laughs) crazy. But the big thing is, is I'm like, these dumb cervical exams and this dumb triage with a, you know, I understand if you're like a first time birthing person, whatever, but like clearly by your signs, symptoms, your water's broken, there's meconium. Like, why are we in triage? Like, it wouldn't have been everybody racing to that room if they would have just taken you to a room. But six, you guys, Sarah went from six centimeters to pushing in less than 10 minutes. Okay. Cervical checks mean absolutely nothing, nothing. Okay. You can go from six centimeters. Oh, we went from Jules last year, five centimeters dilated water breaks 12 minutes later, baby was on her chest. Wow. I have goosebumps. So you, we cannot, you know, we cannot just take cervical exams and dilation. It's just one piece right? Station, the way you're acting. I mean, you were clearly in transition because you had planned for an orgasmic birth and we're asking for an epidural while vomiting. We were like, okay, we're about to have a baby here, you know? I mean, and you did it. So when you pushed him out unmedicated, it's done. There, there's all these women in the room. So you're surrounded by women, tons of women. nurses, midwives, doulas, all the things. What did it feel like? It was the most glorious day of my life. The most beautiful feeling. I felt angelic. I felt all when I'm closing my eyes and thinking about it, I just picture golden light everywhere. The whole thing from 3 a.m. to 10 a.m. was, was magic and was me and was him and was women. It was Aaron and Bobby coming down the mountain. It was you at my house. It was all female staff. I did not see, I didn't put this together until later. I did not see a man that entire day until Jeff showed up at 2 PM. It was all women. And I realized that this was a huge part of what this journey was about for me. It was about I don't need Jeff to be here. I don't need medication. I don't need anything outside of myself. And I am supported and I am supported by the feminine. And I, the feminine are, is outside of me and inside of me and my feminine nature, which I pushed aside for many, many years. I was super, while I was, while I was feminine looking, I was so driven. I was so career oriented. I was so task oriented. I was, I wore the pants in my first marriage, all that jazz. I pushed away the feminine, the feminine rose up within me that day. Even I feel like the epidural was me saying no to the feminine. I did it. I freaking pushed out a human life, a sweet boy, a sweet baby boy that I had never had a boy survive before. I like, this was my first boy that I was going to have. 
he, he is teaching us something about me being a mom and a, and a woman and, and the feminine. And, and anyway, without getting all spiritual about it, it felt fucking amazing. And I was on and still am on a high from it. I feel powerful. I feel confident. I am a different mom. I know this being my, my postpartum was different. I didn't really have postpartum issues. I, I didn't have the baby blues this time. I, it just changed everything. It changed my confidence. It changed my connection to the baby. When Jeff walked in the room, he thought she might be pissed. She might be like, I can't believe you missed it. She might be like, get the F out of the room, you know? And I wasn't, I was laying there with this sweet soul on me. And I swear there was like, golden, the the beautiful light of like Paris was like in the room. Like it was the most beautiful light. And Jeff said, when he walked in the room, he was like, I have never seen you more beautiful. And I just was peaceful. And I just smiled and I said, hi. And he like just started bawling. And he was like, you were fine. Heidi was there with you. The baby is here. You're healthy. He's healthy. You didn't need me. Like everything is good. He was like, it was the most beautiful scene he'd ever seen. And I felt all of the shit was erased and I just was grateful and happy and blissed out. Yeah. And today, Sarah, this story is that one that it's your cousin, right? Yeah. Prompting yeah. you like, yeah. and now you and all of your stories get to serve that for all the other women that are listening to your story today. And for that, I am forever grateful. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for being part of the Birth Story family and listening to this episode. On Tuesdays every week are doula diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week along with some teaching and education. And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more, like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.